0: Since early days of Israel, um, we have always had impostors, people who claimed to be Moshiach, but really were not. What most of them had in common is most of them were not fully there um, mentally. In other words, most of them had mental health problems um, that led to them often believing in themselves as Moshiach. In fact, um, We've had a tradition throughout history that um, most pe- most towns, Jewish communities, had their own Moshiach. We even had one here in our community for a little while. He doesn't live here anymore. Um, but people that claimed they were Moshiach, not only Jewish communities, but most mm-hmm. Christian communities had their own Moshiach, individuals that claimed to be Moshiach. Generally, they were dismissed as, um, uh, you know, strange, um, that people laughed at them or did not take them very seriously. Um, As we've mentioned in our class about Moshiach, one of the fundamental beliefs in Moshiach is that Moshiach is not just going to be some random, strange individual that will show up, but Moshiach will be a recognized leader, scholar, saintly individual um, who will be Moshiach. However, we have had over the years a handful of somewhat semi-successful false moshiachs that managed to get fairly far in their quest or their claim to be moshiach. Some because they weren't crazy at all, but they were actually quite normal, but had this plan to somehow lead Israel. Uh, Perhaps most famous of that is Bar Kochba, a leader who led a rebellion against the Romans in the early 100s and uh, that the Romans bitterly crushed, but he was somewhat successful at the beginning. Um, and then there have been some moshiachs that, due to charisma, or due to the fact that they at least externally appear normal, um, were able to lead people on um, quite successfully. But without a doubt, the most successful of these false moshiachs in our history was a man called Shaptai Tzvi. And we may not have heard of Shabtai Tzvi, but um, his sega, his story had a very, very great impact on Judaism and Jewish history in his days, not only Judaism, but really the entire world in those days, um, including here um, in this country, as we will see. So the story takes place in the 17th century or the 1600s. Now, the 1600s in the Jewish world was a very, very challenging time. The largest Jewish community in the Jewish world at the time was Poland. Poland was a country of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was a country that covered all of what we know today as Eastern Europe. So Ukraine, um, Belarus, um, much of uh, Czechoslovakia, um, parts of Germany and uh, parts of Hungary and Romania. It was a very, very large country. Um, it was by far the largest Jewish community in its time. Um, In the early 1600s or mid 1600s in 1648 and 1649, there had been a Ukrainian uprising um, known as the Cossack uprising and the Cossacks, as they rebelled against the the Poles, they also went on a religious war um, and killed every Jew that they were able to find. Um, wherever they went and in these terrible pogroms known as the Chemelnitski pogroms after Bogdan who was a leader um, of this rebellion um, as many as a hundred thousand Jews were killed it was by far the greatest Jewish tragedy of its time leading up to the holocaust and um, it decimated the Jewish community of eastern Europe um, killing a very very significant percentage um, as many as 20-30% of Jews living in Eastern Europe at the time. Um, Right after that, there was a war between the uh, Poland and Sweden. The Swedes also hated Jews at the time. Jews were not allowed to live in Sweden. Um, Sweden included much of what we know today as Russia. And again, the Swedes killed many Jews um, in the Northern parts of Poland that had been not impacted by the war with the Cossacks. So the Polish Jewish community, the European Jewish community was reeling at the time. Um, Meanwhile, most Sephardic Jews had been expelled from Spain 150 years earlier, and most of them had settled in the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire covered Turkey, um, the Balkans, Greece, the Balkans, and uh, much of the Middle East. Um, Originally Jews had been welcomed in the Ottoman Empire, given rights, given freedoms, and had been very, very successful. However, by the 1600s, things had taken a turn for the worse. Um, A lot of local rulers, persecuted Jews, implemented very, very high taxes, made them live in ghettos, um, forbade them from riding horses, from traveling at nights, and um, many, many other limitations. Many Jews believed that the year 1648 would be a year of redemption. There had been this long tradition That the redemption would come in the year 1648. It was based on a verse in the Torah that says, Vishnat HaYovel Hazot, in the year of this Jubilee, everybody will return to their land. And it's part of the command in the Torah that people, uh, that everybody should go back to their ancestral land every 50 years in the Jubilee year. Now, the Hebrew word Hazot, this, has a It has a number value because every word in Hebrew has a gematria. We did a class a couple months ago about it. Um, But the number value of the word hazot is um, 408. Now, the year 1648 in the Hebrew calendar is 5,408. So in the year, in the Jubilee year, which is 50 times 100, 5,000, plus hazot which was 448, 5, 4, sorry, 408, 5408, or 1648 in our calendar, was believed to be the year that Moshiach will come. Instead, it was a year of terrible tragedies for Israel, the year of the Chemomitzki uprising, when terrible things happened. After that, they believed that the Moshiach cannot be, many Jews believed Moshiach cannot be too far away. At the same time, many Christians believed that their Messiah would come in the year 1666 for their own reasons. Um, Many Muslims also um, chose the year 1666 and Jews also found the year 1666 as a year of great, they found um, allusions to it in Torah and other places um, with gematria, with numerical values and the like, finding sources um, that alluding to that year 1666 as a year of redemption. In fact, the mid-17th century was so focused on the belief that the redemption was coming very soon, a belief that really um, was very, very powerful throughout England, throughout many Protestant countries, um, Germany, Holland, many Protestant countries believed that this was the um, end of the reformation, was coming to this to its climax in 1666, um, that many, um, many Protestants, particularly Puritans, left Europe in their quest for the Promised Land, um, crossing the Atlantic and establishing colonies on, in the, what they call the New World. Um, in those years, in the mid 1600s, um, Puritans established the Massachusetts Bay, uh, Bay Colony, along with Plymouth Rock Colony. And many of the early New England colonies were established then. And many of the early Puritans and the early settlers believed and wrote in their, early, in their diaries that they were the new Israel crossing the Atlantic, the new Red Sea on the way to the promised land. And they had reached, they believed they had reached the promised land and they were gonna usher in the coming of the Messiah in 1666. That same Messianic fever um, leading up to the year 1666 in the mid-17th century, um, also led Puritans across um, England to um, take control of Parliament and lead to a civil war where they, the parliamentarians deposed King Charles, um, getting ready for, as part of their preparations for the Messianic times. Um, it was then, interestingly, um, in the mid-1600s, After um, England had become a republic, and after the Civil War, that Menashe ben Israel, the chief rabbi of the Jewish community in Amsterdam, wrote a letter to Oliver Cromwell asking to address the British Parliament. Which he was granted the right to do so. He came to Britain and he told the Parliament that, given that we are waiting for the Messiah to come at any moment right now, and the and The Torah says, the Bible says, that Israel will be scattered in the four corners of the earth. And England is a corner. It sits in the corner of Europe. And so Jews had been kicked out of England in the 1200s, had been forbidden to live in England at at this point for over 400 years. And Menachem in Israel said that until Jews are allowed back into England, the Messiah cannot come. And because of that, Parliament changed the law and allowed Jews back in England um, after that, um, all again in preparation of this great messianic fever. So this messianic fever that existed in the New World, here um, in England, throughout Protestant Europe, also um, went through Catholic Europe, through um, Orthodox Christian Europe, and throughout the Muslim world, and also spread throughout the Jewish world. It was this great belief that the coming of Mashiach was going to come, that or the Messiah, each religion with their own belief, that it was coming very soon, with many believing this magical year of 1666 would be the year. So, this just gives us a background as to understanding how Shabtai and his messianic quest became so successful so quickly. So Shabtai Tzvi was born in the city of Izmir, which is in southern Turkey, one of the largest cities in Turkey, and was one of the largest Jewish communities in the Ottoman Empire. He was born in 1626. His father was a wealthy merchant. He was sent to a top Jewish school to study. As a young man, he was recognized as being absolutely brilliant. And he was recognized as a great Talmudic scholar. Um, He was also, uh, we're told he was very good looking. In fact, um, we have portraits of him. Um, that you can Google, Shabtai Tzvi, the portraits will come up straight away. Um, and he was extremely good-looking. He was very charismatic. He had a beautiful voice and he would sing. Um, he began to study Kabbalah in his teens and was quickly recognized as not only a great scholar, but also a great Kabbalist. He was a very pious man, very saintly individual. He would fast a lot. Um, he, would, um, he was very careful, scrupulous in the following Torah. Um, He would spend all day studying, and he began to teach as a very young man. um, He began to teach, and many students flocked to him as a charismatic, young, brilliant teacher. However, around 1648, by the time he was 22, he began to exhibit very strange behavior. And he told his students that he was the Moshiach. He was the anointed one. That everyone had been waiting for. He then began to do certain forbidden things. He began to pronounce God's name. We know that Jews are forbidden from ever pronouncing God's name. We did so in the temple, but once the temple was destroyed, we never pronounced God's name. The Yud K Vovke, we just pronounced the letters, uh, mispronounce them, or it's mispronounced as Havaya, we never pronounce it. He began to pr- publicly pronounce God's name. He also began to eat Khelev, which is forbidden parts of an animal that uh, the Torah forbids us from eating. And as a result of this strange behavior, the Jewish community of Izmir excommunicated him, and he was forced forced to leave the Jewish community of Izmir. He made his way then to Istanbul, the capital at the time of the Ottoman Empire, where he was quickly recognized as a scholar, which he was, a saintly man, um, a pious man. Now I should point out that modern psychologists looking at Shabtai Tzvi and his story point out that he really exhibited all the uh, symptoms of, a, of someone with bipolar disorder. He was most of the time quite normal um, and then he had these very strange episodes where he would act very, very strangely and do very strange things and then suddenly become normal again um, with his strange episodes grad- gradually increasing. Of course, they had no way of knowing this at the time, nor did they have medication for it. And um, so it would have with time increased and gotten worse over time. So there in, um, there in Istanbul, he became friends with a great scholar and leader um, who appears to have been a little bit of a strange individual, Avraham Hayakhini, with whom he confided his messianic beliefs. Later, Avram Hayachini is going to become a great proponent of Shabtay Tzvi and one of his big fans in Istanbul. Um, Avram encourages him to spread his, the fact that he was Moshiach, brought him students and um, shared it secretly, became essentially a secret society, people that knew he was the Moshiach. Soon he began to do strange things again, with time it became public knowledge um, that he was acting strangely and he was soon expelled from Istanbul. He made his way from there to Salonika. Salonika in in northern Greece, um, then part of the uh, Ottoman Empire, was the largest Jewish community of its day. Um, It was where most of the Spanish exiles had settled. It was a very, very large Jewish community. Again, Shabbat at first appeared very normal. He settled there quietly, studying, teaching. Again, he attracted many as a great scholar, pious individual. Um, he attracted many students, many followers. After a couple years, he again began to do very strange things. Um, he began to, he wrote new blessings. Um, he also created new holidays that he encouraged his students to celebrate. And it really climaxed when he invited all the great leaders of um, Istanbul, the great Torah leaders and Jewish leaders of Istanbul um, to a great party that he was going to make. And there at the party, he erected a chuppah canopy that we use at a wedding and he brought a Torah scroll and he made a chuppah. He married the Torah with the entire regular marriage ceremony. After that, he, the community of Salonika excommunicated him and he was forced to leave. This was in 1658. Um, He was, at the time, he's 30 years old um, at the time. He disappeared for a couple years. We don't know where he was for the next couple years, probably wandered from community to community. He resurfaced in 1662 or 1663 in Cairo. There in Cairo, he became close with the leader of the Cairo community, a very wealthy man and great scholar called Rafal bar Yosef Um He was very wealthy and he was a recognized leader. He was the, what was called the Parnas or the Nugget of the Cairo Jewish community. Um, there again, he was recognized by the community as a great scholar, a great Kabbalist, a tzaddik, a righteous man. Uh, he spent some time in Egypt. From there, he went to Jerusalem. Again in Jerusalem, He was recognized, Jerusalem was a city of great scholars, a city of pious individuals, um, and he was recognized as a scholar, as a great Kabbalist. Um, After two years of living in Jerusalem, the community in Jerusalem, was the pasha, the leader of Jerusalem, the Arab leader of Jerusalem, um, threatened the Jews that they give him a large sum of money or he will expel, expel all the Jews from Jerusalem. Uh, something that was very, very common in those days, local rulers essentially did whatever they wanted. So the community in Jerusalem, having no choice, um, asked Shaptai Tzvi to go back to Egypt, where they knew he had a close relationship with Rafael bar Yosef Halabi, the great wealthy um, uh, man in Egypt, and over there try to raise the money from Rafael bar Yosef and his friends um, to be able to save the community in Jerusalem. So Chabad Tzvi goes back to Egypt, but then when he gets back to Cairo, he again declares himself as Moshiach. And his good friend Rafael Yosef Khalabi supported him, and believed that indeed this pious, saintly scholar and charismatic individual was Moshiach. While he was in Cairo, word got to him that in the city of Leghorn in Italy, Leghorn was a very very large Jewish community in Italy. It had invited Spanish Jews at the time to um, settle there, and it had many. Um, it, and it was a very large Jewish community at the time. So in Leghorn, Italy, it was a Polish refugee girl that had escaped some years earlier from the wars in Poland. Um, she had become a prostitute there, and she was a little off, and she was claiming that she was destined to marry Moshiach. So shabtai Tzvi sent people. To bring her um, by boat to um, Cairo. She came, she came to Cairo where Shabtai Tzvi, married this individual and he compared himself to the prophet Hosea. In the book Hosea, Hosea is told by God that he should marry a prostitute and so Shabtai Tzvi said that God had told him to do the same. Meanwhile his friend Raphael Bar Yosef Chalabi gave him the money he needed for to save the city of Jerusalem and He headed back to Jerusalem with his new wife Sarah. On his way, he passed the city of Gaza, Gaza, um, which is on the um, southern coast of Israel at the time, in a large Jewish community. And over there, he meets Natan bin Yamin HaLevi, known, known as Natan HaAzati, Aza in Hebrew. And Natan hears Shabtai Tzvi's story that he's Moshiach, and he tells him that he found an ancient scroll. And in that ancient scroll, it says that there will be a man called shaptai who will be Moshiach. And he shows him this ancient scroll. And then this Natan tells him that he is actually a prophet. And God had appeared to him and told him that it is his job to let the entire world know that Shaptai Tzvi is Moshiach. So now Shaptai Tzvi has found his prophet. And together with Natan, they go back to Jerusalem where they declare themselves as Moshiach. The people of Jerusalem are very upset by what has happened, um, and they immediately expel He um from Jerusalem. He had squandered the money that he had been given for them. Um, he, they managed to find money elsewhere, but he is expelled from Jerusalem. Natan is also expelled and goes back to Gaza, but Natan now begins to write letters to every Jewish community in the world about that Moshiach has been revealed, that his name is Shabtai Tzvi, and he is um, heading back to Turkey, back to Istanbul, where he is going to take the crown off the sultan's head. So Shabtai Tzvi and his wife make their way now back to Izmir, the city where he had grown up and he had been thrown out of Um, some um, 15 years earlier. And so Shabtai Tzvi, on his way, wherever he travels, he travels through um, Aleppo, which is a very large Jewish community and other cities. In every town he passes through on the way to Izmir, greets him and is excited. Everyone believes that he is indeed Moshiach. Word spreads very, very quickly throughout the world that that Moshiach has been revealed. Shabtai Tzvi makes his way to Izmir where they know that he's coming. And over there, he is accepted by most of the Jews of Izmir. They quickly um, accept him as their leader. Um, the ra- people that refuse to listen to him are persecuted and are forced to go into hiding, including the rabbi of Izmir, whose name was Rabbi Avra- Aram Lapa, um, was forced to go into hiding. Um, instead, um, instead Shabtai Tzvi appointed other rabbis from Izmir, as in, to place a leadership who had accepted his him being Moshiach. He also, um, he also um, ordered that anybody who spoke against him or who denied his being Moshiach be flogged or be punished. And um, thanks to Natan's letters, this was spreading very, very quickly, word spread throughout the Ottoman Empire and really throughout the world. Jews around the world got very excited because everyone was expecting this. These people thought this was going to, this was the real thing. Moshiach was coming. Not only did Jews get excited, Muslims got excited, Christians got excited throughout, um, throughout the world. Um, we know many Christian leaders, um, including the Pope himself, um, many bishops, uh, many Protestant leaders, wrote to Shapteitzvi, sent him gifts. Um, believing that he was going to be the Moshiach. Um, and um, many Muslims believed in him. All these am- all sorts of amazing stories began to spread. Rumors began to spread about prophets that had appeared in all sorts of different places and spoke about how Shapteitzvi was going to be Moshiach and exactly how he was going to reveal himself with all sorts of great stories. And all sorts of miracles began to happen. And anybody who questioned them was immediately silenced. One of the stories that quickly spread was that um, near Scotland, a ship had been found with sailors that spoke Hebrew, um, that, were, that claimed to have been from the lost tribes and were on their way to go help the Moshiach capture um, the promised land. And all sorts of other rumors began to spread throughout Europe and throughout the Middle East. Those rabbis, scholars, and individuals who opposed Shabtai were persecuted, were forced to go into hiding, keep their opinions to themselves. While many Jews, um, many leaders accepted him, many Christians, many Muslims accepted him, Jews were no longer persecuted, were allowed throughout Europe to leave their ghettos, were allowed in places where they had to wear certain clothing, were allowed to dress the way they wanted, Christians were afraid that Moshiach is going to come, and they did not want to um, get on the bad side of this Moshiach. The same was in Muslim countries where there were limits on what Jews could do. Everywhere all over the world believed that Moshiach was coming. In early 1666, Mishat Tzvi announced that he was leaving Izmir and traveling to Istanbul to take the sultan's crown off his head and begin the process of saving Israel. He left Israel, he left Izmir, sorry, with three ships of followers heading towards Istanbul. The Sultan, we know, was scared of what was happening. And um, he left Istanbul. He went to his um, summer home, his summer palace in Erdine, which is um, today on the border of Turkey and Greece and it was a second capital of um, of the turkish em- of the of the ottoman empire and um, before reaching istanbul the sultan had the ships met by the sultan's navy and forced the ships of Shaptai Tzvi to land outside the city where upon dismarking the ship um, the um, uh, the sultan's soldiers promptly promptly arrested Şabtay Tzvi and threw him into prison The Sultan, however, was not satisfied, was still afraid. Um, Jews continued to flock in great numbers to, and non-Jews in great numbers to Istanbul, hoping to see Moshiach, whom they believed that his being thrown in prison was just part of the process. After a few weeks, the Sultan had him transferred to a prison on an island not far from Istanbul called Abydos. Um, However, the Sultan's calculations had badly calculated instead of being isolated in this prison on Abydos, people flocked to Abydos. People came to visit him and pay tribute to him. And in Abydos, um, rather than being treated as a a prisoner, the guards themselves, the soldiers themselves were somewhat afraid of him. And uh, because of all the miracles they heard about him and the powers that they heard, people came to visit him. People came to pay tribute. Soon on Abydos, there were thousands and thousands of his followers who had settled there set up camp there and he was essentially living on a king as a king on this island where he had been taken as prisoner Um, things continued in this way with the sultan afraid or unsure what to do Um, he was afraid he was the um, ottoman empire was involved in some wars with the venetian war at the time and um, couldn't afford an insurrection, and he was afraid um, the popularity of Shabtai if he did anything to harm him, he was afraid um, of an insurrection. Um, and people from around the world, meanwhile, were coming to visit him, paying him tribute. Shabtai continued to do more and more strange things. Passover came, he offered a Passover sacrifice, which we did when the temple stood, but it's forbidden to do outside the temple. Um, he again pronounced God's name, um, ate the forbidden parts of the animal, um, created his own holidays, and continued to do many, many strange things. And within the Jewish community, many Jews rejected him, many most accepted him, and in many places where those who rejected him were the minority, many of them were persecuted and forced to go into hiding. So how did this end? What happened? Shabt had gotten very far. Uh, he had been. He came to the point where most Jews um, and most Christians, most Muslims, really believed that he was Moshiach. Many afraid to do anything to him. In fact, at the time, there were Christian leaders um, that had offered to help send to send their own militias to aid him in his conquest of the Promised Land. Um, his power was growing by the day. How did all this end? So he was, of course a false Moshiach, he was not ever Moshiach. Moshiach would never do things against Torah law, against uh, Moshiach cannot do things against the Torah. If he does things against the Torah by definition he cannot be Moshiach. So what then um, what then would happen to him? What then was his end? So his end actually came in a very unexpected way. in Poland there was a charismatic individual called Nachemia Cohen. Now, Nachemya Cohen was a big supporter of Shabtai Tzvi. He would go around Poland um, pre- preaching and speaking about the importance of everybody accepting Shabtai Tzvi as Moshiach. And um he would he was a great Kabbalist and speak about all the places in Torah that he found that alluded to Shapteitzvi being Moshiach. And um, he was a great supporter of Shabtai Tzvi. Shaptai Tzvi heard about him and ordered that Nehemia Cohen come to visit him. Nehemia Cohen came to Turkey, came to Istanbul, went to the island of Abydos um, where he came to see Shaptai Tzvi. It's unclear exactly what happened, but at some point, Nehemia Cohen, right after he arrived, had a fallout with Shaptai Tzvi and got very upset at Shabtai Tzvi. And Shabtai Tzvi attempted, told his followers, to catch Nehemia Cohen and kill him. And, but Nehemia managed to escape. He escaped to Istanbul. And from there he made his way to Ergai, where the um, Sultan was, at the time, afraid to do anything with Shapteitzvi. Tzvi. Nehemia Cohen came to ask for an audience with the Sultan. He came to the Sultan, And he told the Sultan, I, too, am a great um, Kabbalist. I, too, can perform miracles like Shabtai Tzvi. And I'm telling you that Shabtai Tzvi is an imposter. He's a faker. So it's not true. You can overcome it. And so the Sultan asked, well, how do how would I do that? How would I, um, how can I stop him? So Nehemia Cohen came up with a plan. For the Sultan to be able to stop Shabtai Tzvi. And this is what he told him to do. The Sultan sent a message to Shabtai Tzvi, ordering Shaptai Tzvi to come visit him in Erdain. Shaptai Tzvi readily agreed. He left Abydos um, at the head of thousands or tens of thousands of followers, um, essentially a large army, following him as they traveled to Erdine. He came to Erdain, with a very, very large, huge number of people, followers, um, ready to support him um, by any means. And um, he was granted um, an audience with the Sultan. However, the Sultan conditioned the audience, he could only come into the audience with 10 of his followers. Shabdaitsni did so. He came with 10 of his followers into the Sultan. The Sultan asked him, um, what he wants, Shabtai Tzvi said, I am Washiach, and it is up to me to take over the um, crown of the Ottoman Empire and take my people back to the Promised Land without any fear. And so the Sultan said, um, as advised by Nechem Cohen, the Sultan said, okay, um, I'm ready to accept that, but first I want to test you if you are real or not. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my spear. I'm going to throw it right at you. If you survive, then I will take off my crown and give it to you. If not, too bad. tzvi turned white, looked shocked, didn't know what to do next. And at that point, the Sultan had a Jewish physician, a Jewish doctor, who went over to tzvi and whispered in his ear you can save your life by converting to islam so Tzvi immediately told the told the sultan i'm ready to convert to islam the sultan was excited um was hoping that together with Tzvi's conversion all his followers would convert and Tzvi right then and there converted to islam when people heard what happened all the Jews recognized that he was not the one. He was not meant to be. 300 of his diehard followers converted with him, but the rest of them did not. And that was really the end of Shaptai Tzvi and his story. The rest of the people recognized he was the false Mashiach. He was not the real Mashiach. What happened to Shaptai Tzvi? So Shaptai Tzvi, the Sultan at first appointed Shaptai Tzvi as a high position, into a high position um, in the court. But he continued his claim that he was Moshiach even after his conversion. And he continued to lead his die-hard followers. Um, At first, the Sultan tried to clamp down on his crazy claims. But after a while, the Sultan gave up up and sent him to exile to Albania, where there were no Jews living at the time. And he lived the rest of his life in solitude. And he died um, as a young man a couple years later. Jews around the world, meanwhile, were disillusioned uh, by what happened. They recognized the time in not yakam for Moshiach. In many, non, in many places, non-Jews who had been afraid of the Jews now became the new masters um, and began harsh persecution of Jews all across the world. Many rabbis, many leaders who had mistakenly believed Shabtai was Moshiach were forced to backtrack and admit their mistake. Unfortunately, thousands of diehard followers around the world, Jewish followers, continued to believe in Shabtai Tzvi even after his conversion and after his death 10 years later. These people were generally ostracized from the communities, but it created friction within many communities. For hundreds of years later, Jewish communities would find these secret Shabtai messianic groups that continued to exist for over 100 years later throughout Europe. And throughout Turkey, and through, throughout the Ottoman Empire. Um, and when they found them, these groups, secret Messianic groups would be ostracized from the community. Unfortunately, as a result of this, many Jews, Jewish communities that had their own fights for other reasons, which unfortunately has been common in Jewish communities throughout the ages, often a big part of those fights were accusations on both sides that the other side had Messianic leanings, had leanings towards Shabtay tzvi. Indeed, there were break-off cults that caused Israel trouble um, throughout the years um, for the next century or so throughout Europe and throughout the Middle East. Um, and many communities suffered from these fights um, of different sides accusing each other, at least, of being Messianic. There were also those few hundred families that converted with him. Um, they essentially began their own religion, which was a mix of Islam and Judaism, along with the belief of Shabtai being Moshiach, who, after he died, they believed would come back and save them. Um, they started this new religion called Donmet. Uh, the Donmet were active for many years in Greece and Turkey, uh, numbering at their height before World War I, um, tens of thousands of members. Um, uh, today, most of them have assimilated, and today there are only a handful left still in Turkey. Now, of course, while Shabt was an imposter, he was never meant to be Moshiach, we continue, Jews continue to believe and await Moshiach's coming, which is one of the fundamental beliefs in Judaism. How will we know when Moshiach comes? So, uh, as we discussed when we did our class about Moshiach, spoke about it then, Moshiach will not be some strange individual, will not be some crazy person, but will be a very normal Jewish leader, recognized Jewish leader, um, scholar, pious individual, Something that most people claim to be Moshiach never fit, Shabtai Tzvi may have fit most of those descriptions, but also will be loyal to Torah. It's something that Shabtai, Tzvi, Shabtai Tzvi did not do. And so that's how we know when the real Moshiach comes. Um, he has not come, but we do await for the real Moshiach's coming. We do believe that when Moshiach comes, everybody will believe in him. We will know that it will be the real one. And we will not have to persecute those that don't believe in him. Now, though the world was dejected, though the Jewish community went through great suffering after the collapse of Shaptai Tzvi, the world, the Jewish community, the Jewish world, was ready at the time for a more powerful change. Having lived through this powerful experience of believing Mashiach was coming and getting so close to it, and then this great disillusionment, this disillusion in 1666, the world was ready for something the Jewish community, the Jewish world was ready for change, was ready for something new. And this particularly was true in the largest Jewish community in the world, the Jewish community in Poland and Eastern Europe, which had gone through great suffering, was now greatly impoverished and was really lacking leadership. It was just a generation later in 1734, less than seven decades later, that Rebbe Yisrael Baal Shem Tov appeared in Mezhibosh. And he founded a new movement called Chassidus. And he taught the people for whom had grown despondent, for whom Judaism had grown cold, who had lost the connection with God. He taught them how every Jew has a natural connection with God. We're all deeply connected with God. He taught us how Judaism is not just ritual, but it also has a soul. There's a life to it. There's feeling to it. There's meaning to it. There's power to it. He taught about the great um, connection that we all have with Judaism, our ability to connect to God through every single mitzvah. He infused Judaism with life and with spirituality and uh, taught us the power of prayer and communicating with God and how every single person is an extension of God, every single thing God creates is for a purpose, how we all can connect to God. Hasidah spread very quickly throughout Eastern Europe and throughout all of Europe. and it really impacted all of Jewish life, and not just Jewish life, but the way um, people thought about God in general, about religion in general, about our relationship with God. So though Shabt was really a terrible tra- tragedy, it was, number of, it was one of a number of factors that brought rise to Chasidus and what we can call a more meaningful Judaism, a more fulfill, fulfilling Judaism than they had experienced at the time. So, though it was a great tragedy, um, it did uh, lead to some positive. At the end of the tragedy, we did get this new, ins- newly inspired, inspirational um, form of Judaism that really spread and really is felt in Judaism today. So, that is the story of Shaptai Tzvi, a story of great importance in Jewish history, but also um, one that we can take many lessons for.
1: Um,
0: We do believe in Moshiach's coming, but we believe that anyone who goes against the Torah is not meant to be, is not the one that God had sent. Um, And we also do believe believe that even in the darkest times, um, Jews, there is always some light and the light did come even after this with the spreading of sinus. Thank you all for joining us.